Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is David Harry Stewart. Welcome to the Ages Podcast. I am so thrilled today to bring on one of our good friends, Mr. Chip Connolly. Chip's written a number of books, among them The Making of the Modern Elder, his most recent. Uh, but Chip started out when he was about 24, and he uh, bought a little motel um, down in a kind of a dodgy neighborhood in San Francisco, and he turned that into a chain of hotels known as Joie de Vivre. And he exited that, and he went on to mentor Brian Chevsky at Airbnb for a number of years, which is really what started him on his current trajectory around the modern elder. Um, being able to uh, work with people who are much younger and that transfer of information up and down the generational column, he found just fascinating. Chip is also probably the most well-read guy I've ever met. He has a, a, he has a library, essentially, a large library that he's read and is, is well known for. He's deeply knowledgeable about transitioning in this period of time that we have that he, that he refers to as middle essence. And it's a, it's a funny period for a lot of us. We don't quite know what we're supposed to do or where we're supposed to go or you know, how we fit in. Uh, what's, what's next for us? And with Modern Elder Academy, that's, that's where he's really helping a lot of people transition through this. And I, he's learning a lot in the process. I think he's done around 50 cohorts through there, which is, I want to, we'll ask him, but I think it's about 800 people he's graduated through there. He has a very active Facebook community keeping people engaged and moving forward. And Chip has really been one of the people who's helped us tremendously uh, in our journey here at Aegis. He's just a, just a great power of example. He's a wonderful guy, one of the sweetest, most giving people I know. So I'm, I'm very excited to have him on. Let's give him a call. I, I think he's in San Francisco today. We'll find out. Hi, Chip. How are you? I'm great, David. Thank you for having me. Join you. Yes, absolutely. Where, where are you today? I am in San Francisco, which is an unusual thing for me these days, uh, after having spent almost 40 years here. Uh, I spend more of my time in Baja and Austin these days. Yeah. Wow. And so tell me, how long have you been doing Modern Elder now? It, it feels like a while, huh? So I, the, the history and background, so I spent some time at Airbnb, four years full-time, three years now as an advisor to the founders. And while I was there, I realized they started calling me the modern elder, <laughs> which I didn't like at first. And um, because it sounded like modern elderly, which sounds right. like the AARP magazine or something like that. <laughs> but no, I did. I, I came to realize that being an elder is a relative term. And, um, and then I wrote a book called Wisdom at Work, the Making of a Modern Elder, which is what led me to creating the Modern Elder Academy down in Baja, which has been in place now for two years. And I, it's been two years? Yeah. Oh yep. my gosh. Wow. Um, I remember we had that conversation. It was um, before the book came out about the word elder. And um, I thought, wow, like rebranding elder, that's a heavy lift, but you've done it. I'm so <laughs> impressed. Well, we're, you know, we're still, we have still a long way to go. I, I think, I think the part that's interesting, David, is that with 750 alums, of the Modern Elder Academy program uh, in Baja now in, in Mexico, from 23 countries. We've had people from 30 to 88 uh, in the program with the average age being 53. 
But what's so curious to me is that almost 15% of our people who've come are people under 45 uh, and who self-identify as elders in the making uh, and are cultivating and harvesting their wisdom. So I, I guess elder, you know, there, and then there I know people who are 80 who don't want to be called an elder. So I think it's a, a self-selecting kind of thing. That's so interesting. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I think I might have mentioned to you that almost half of our audience is under 50. And like, we don't really talk about anybody. I think the youngest person I've talked about is like 48. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's an element that people, I think, find wisdom and maturity and experience and, and maybe even aging aspirational. And it's, a, I think it's a relatively new phenomena here i don't if we if we look back 150 years people wore wigs um to make themselves look older um but i think today we do all kinds of things to make ourselves look younger and the anti-aging phenomena is is nothing new but i think there's an element that's starting to occur which uh, some have called the perennial uh, uh phenomena where it's not so much what your age is, it's like what level of vitality and um, life engagement do you have? Uh, and I will never forget that one of the most famous executive recruiters in the world said to me, listen, when it comes to your age, when you go to the interview, um, all you need to do is show up with curiosity and engagement and, and your wrinkles will fade away. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's right. We, we did a, um, a, re a really interesting survey um, it was about a year ago. But I, I was curious, what, like, what's the reality of ageism in the workplace? Like, mm -hmm. So we contacted these people who were big HR people, and we had them off the record so they, you know, they wouldn't get in trouble. And I said, so what's the deal? Like, what really happens? And they said it's a cultural thing. And it's exactly what you said. Like if you, if you show up being open and curious and wow, what can I learn here? Mm -hmm. A whole different ball game. But if you, know, if you go in there and you say like, hey, I've done this before, I know what's going on, ouch. That's yeah, that, this is part of the reason why uh, as we were looking at what's the modern elder phenomena, it's really the idea that the traditional elder of the past was regarded with reverence, but the modern elder is about relevance and relevance if you're going to be relevant and stay relevant, it requires you to be as curious as you are wise, which in essence says your job as you get older is to get more and more um, inquisitive about how the world works, just like you did when you were a kid. Like when you were four years old, you know, you asked why the sky was blue. Um, you may not ask that question at 55 years old or 65 years old, but you might ask deeper and meaningful questions, including how do we go make change in the world, which is something that baby boomers have been doing ever since they, you know, they, they descended onto the planet. Do you have techniques that you've developed for like causing curiosity? Well, we have techniques that we've created. Yes, we do for helping to stoke curiosity. Right. Uh, absolutely. We have, we have a bunch of exercises that help with that, but actually even more so we have exercises that help, um, exhibit that curiosity. How do you use, there's a, there's a, for those who want to really learn about this, there's something called appreciative inquiry. It's another form of AI, artificial intelligence, but it's not anything like artificial intelligence. It's, it just has the initials AI. Appreciative inquiry is a way of asking questions that helps 
be catalytic or illuminating in the way they open up possibilities. So one of the things we do during our, our workshop weeks is we help teach people about how do you ask questions? Because there's a famous Jimi Hendrix quote, which is knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. And, and so wisdom listens sort of means you're really good at listening to people, being interested in them, and then asking catalytic questions that helps them see their blind spots or, or open to see possibilities that they wouldn't have known uh, instead which is an interesting way to think of an, uh, a modern elder because it's not like we're trying to be the smartest person in the room and have all the answers. No, in fact, <clears throat> often it's the person who has all the questions. Listen, Google has all the answers, <laughs> but Google doesn't have the questions. Um, and that's, that's part of, I think, our role as we get older. And certainly it was what Socrates did you know, back in, in the Greek times long ago. So I have to ask, ask me a question. So what is it? Oh God, I love this. Um, <laughs> off the cuff. Um, so what is it that has been your greatest lesson in creating Aegist? And what is it that gets you most excited about the next two or three years there? Okay. I love this. This is like tennis. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what I've learned is that everything that I thought I couldn't do, and, and not only couldn't do, was needed to be avoided, were actually things that I was really good at, but that I'd never tried. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I never thought I could write. I, 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 the last English class I think I took was like the 10th grade. I for sure never thought I could speak in front of people. Mm -hmm. I never thought I could lead people. I didn't really see myself as a thought leader. I was a photographer. Uh, this is a very different thing. And I've, and I've had to learn by necessity how to do all these things. And I've actually found, and you'll get a kick out of this. Um, people don't, we, we do a lot of brand work and they very rarely do they come in and they say, David, we really like your pictures. We'd like you to take pictures. But they like all the time, they say to me, we love the way you write. Can you like help craft our campaign? Can you write for us? And, I, and I'm just stunned. And I say, but I'm not a writer. You have no idea. No, 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 no. We love that. And I said, well, but I'm a photographer. I can take good pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we know other people like that. But the writing. <laughs> um, well, let just... me, can I say something? To, and then I, then I want to get to the second part of the question. Yeah. So what's interesting about that, David, I, I love the fact that I'm now interviewing you. Um, what is beautiful <laughs> about that is that we often have latent skills that that we don't tap into. We may even have been using those skills along the way, but didn't even realize it. Um, and so there's a, one of the uh, interesting psychological theories of the last 20 or 30 years is called mindset. It's by a woman named Carol Dweck from Stanford. And when you have a fixed mindset, you're constantly trying to prove yourself, which means you don't try new things because you're, you're, the point of, of success is defined by winning. winning. So you only do things that you win. But over time, you, you create a smaller and smaller sandbox because and you get bored with life because you're only doing the things that you know can, you can win. A growth mindset means that you're actually not focused on proving yourself, but you're focused on improving yourself. Success is not defined by winning. It's defined by learning. And when you can help people shift into that growth mindset uh, in their 50s, 60s, and later, you open up so many more possibilities for them, including realizing like you have, 
that you had skills that you didn't even know you had. I, I mean, in my case, these were these were things, Chip, that I not only knew I didn't have, I actively avoided. Yeah, I, I thought that I was deficient in them. Well, I, it's so interesting when you realize that you actually have the ability not just you, not that just that you have these latent skills, but you have the ability to actually learn and become a beginner's mind and get better at things. It does open up a world of possibility that in many ways, a lot of people think is not available to those of us who are in midlife or later. So, so the second part of the question was, what gets you most excited about the next two or three years at, with Aegis? Wow. Um, the possibilities. So we've done this now for about five years, and we've grown tremendously. But I found that there's five years is sort of the incubation period. Mm. It's, it's like the egg the egg sits under the light for that amount of time and then the egg hatches. And like what I'm finding is that this year, it started a little bit last year, but now it's, there's just like so much that's coming our way that's, uh, that I know will be manifest like in the next six or eight months. And in the next two or three years, it's really hard for me to forecast out there. A lot of I mean, you've you've had a startup, so you 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 know how it is. It's mm -hmm. I, all I know is it's like the headlights in the night. Like I I kind of sense there's like there's some mountain out there in the dark that I can't see, and I'm just going down this road at night, and I can kind of you know I I have a sense of where it'd be nice to go, but because so much of what I'm learning is new, it's it's like in my old career as a photographer, like I I ran my career. Um, in this business, I, I, I sort of, you know, I'm kind of the figurehead, so I sort of run it, but it's more like I participate in it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like I'm a participant in this thing that's going on. I'm a, I'm a big part of it, but it's not all about me. It's like, there's mm -hmm. this whole other thing going on around me. Well, it's, you're learning collaboration and, you know, again, collaboration is a fascinating, um, thing to learn at any time of life. And, and frankly, the the older we get, the better we get at it, um, generally speaking. Um, this Again, generalizations here, um, because EQ tends to grow with age um, up to a certain point. And the thing that's beautiful, you know, there's a, a study that Google did of all of their teams globally, um, and because they wanted to understand what makes an effective team, because the teams are sort of a core part of any business or organization. So like they wanted to get down to the root cause of what created a great team. And the number one finding they came up with, which surprised everybody, was that the thing that actually creates bet the best teams is psychological safety, which means you have an environment where everybody feels like they have a voice. There's no one dominating. There's an element of everybody's in it for the right mission. And here's the part that's interesting. Um, psychological safety is often improved when you have age diversity on a team, especially some older people on the team who help create some emotional moderation on the team. Okay, there you go. I mean, you know, you have a lot of people on your team uh, at Aegist, and much of what they're doing, you emulate, you know, as that you're the role model, but you're, you're like, sometimes it's called a servant leader. You're here to serve, and you're serving the mission. And if the leader of the whole thing is in that mindset, it allows everybody else to go into that mindset as well. 
But often, you know, the, the, the truth is, I think our journey from being a youngster to being, you know, an oldster and being a hipster along the way um, is the journey from ego to, to the soul. And Carl Jung, the psychologist, has been very, you know, uh, he's talked about the fact that we move from the organizing, uh, our, our organizing system or our um, operating system uh, being the ego to their operating system being the soul. And that happens around middlescence. So adolescence is what happens in puberty. Middlescence is what happens between about 45 and 60. It's most notable in women with menopause, but men have something called andropause. And that andropause and menopause period of 45 to 60, is, it's, like, it's like the ego is bookended by adolescence to middlescence. But as we move into the period post-middlescence, we get to be a little bit more focused on things beyond ourselves. You, you brought up gender difference, which is something I'm, I'm very curious about. Um, I notice in some of your cohorts, and maybe you can inform me on this, it seemed to be the majority women. Um, is, is that, did I get that right? We're about, yeah, 60% women, about 40% men. That's partly because we do, we've had three cohorts that were exclusively women. We've not had any exclusively men work uh, cohorts, but these were these ones that were you know, marketed to them. Why do we have more women than men? Well, let's start <laughs> unpacking that one. Women are more open to be vulnerable, and 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 frankly, uh, while we've had people from 30 to 88, average age 53, the fact is a lot of people, women in midlife, are open to socializing um, their process of understanding how to evolve as a human, and men tend to play their cards closer to their chest are less likely to do that, less likely to have what I call emotional insurance or social insurance, which is the collection of people who support you when you're going through your most difficult times, just like you have property and liability insurance for a rainy day. So, um, but what's interesting is because men don't often have as much of a social safety net of friends that they talk about serious matters with, um, men have been, had some of our most amazing stories in terms of what their experience has been like uh, by being at the academy. We just had, literally, I just today got a beautiful email from somebody from yesterday's program. Uh, it was a week-long program, it ended yesterday. Um, and he wrote me this, just a, like a stunning piece of prose that we're gonna turn into uh, a post on my Wisdom Well Daily blog, uh, which is on the MEA website. Um, and it was just, he's a guy who stopped surfing when he was 31 um, because he thought, like surfing is what you do when you're young and you're a bad boy and he had to get serious and he got married and he had kids and he, had, he got very successful in business and wealth management. And then he hit his mid sixties, he retired and then he's, or he's actually still working, but he's part-time. He's now 71 and he sort of feels a little bit lost. And he went surfing for the first time down at our academy because we're right next to a surf break. And he had this awakening that, and, and I, we saw it over the course of the week with him. His name's Ron, uh, uh, Japanese American man. And he just came out of his shell. Uh, but he showed up on Sunday when we first arrived as the most, hmm, the most shut down person in, in the group of 18. But by, by the next Sunday, he had actually become the, the most open hearted. So I, I think men, while they are a minority relative to women, um, are, are the ones who actually get the most out of it sometimes. That's um, that's really interesting. I wish I I wish that we had um, at Aegis the, the the mechanism to cause those kind of 
transitions, um, transformations in people. It's um, I I find that you know not not dissimilar from from you guys. Like we're some of our some of our channels, our main channels are about sixty percent women. But if you go into Facebook, it gets closer to like Facebook and Instagram are closer to ninety percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, incre- I find it. I can I can. I'm going to get some hate mail from the guys. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I could get 10 awesome women for every awesome guy in this age group. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, something I, I present a lot is I say, like, in this, in this age group, like, the women just lead everything. They're just killing it. And you the know, guys kind of pull back. And, it, um, it's really interesting. I love, this is a great conversation. Um, <laughs> so... There's a, it's such an interesting thing because in, in some ways men have, have, have it better than women because frankly, from a, from a dating perspective, historically, now this is not as true today, but historically men could date younger much easier than women could. Uh, men are less judged on their looks for all of their life, but, but even later there's the silver, and then there's the silver fox phenomena that you know, you sort of become debonair, whereas you become drab as you're, if you're a woman. And, and of course, there's lots and lots and lots. And age is so beautiful in terms of being able to ex- exhibit people who are not drab uh, as women, older women. But I think what's interesting is there's a, lot of, there's a lot of research that's shown that women actually in their 40s and 50s sort of come into their own in terms of confidence. Society has made them feel a little bit, especially in the workplace, feel a little bit more quiet and demure. And it's in their 40s and 50s that they actually sort of come into their own and feel their power and then start to exert it more. And whereas men start in their mid, in, in midlife, 45 to 55, start to actually feel a little more invisible and they're not used to it. Uh, they're sort of used to having things, you know, being the, being the ones in charge. And, and so men start to actually shrink a little bit. And then there's also, I think men get a little bit more cautious of looking vulnerable. Uh, you know, men have had all that, you know, power and athleticism and all this stuff. And then, uh, you know, their body starts to, to, to take its toll. And maybe they're, they start having more emotions that come up that they had been, you know, tabling since they were, you know, going through puberty. And so that transition period for a lot of men, they just shrink. You're right. Because they actually, in fact, retirement, the word retirement it technically means to go off into seclusion. And in some ways, that's what men did. And if, you know, if we look back to the history of retirement, going back to the 20s, 30s of the last century, it was mostly men retiring. And it was sort of like they retire into seclusion because you no longer have a purpose in life or you have any kind of thing that you're giving to society, which is a terrible thought about retirement. Um, and it's actually been proven that people who retire increase their mortality rate by two or three years, <clears throat> which is surprising. You'd expect with all that extra time, they'd you know, be healthier. But in fact, that's not the case. So long story short is, it is interesting that women come into their own almost later in life, but the societal narrative on aging is often you know, stacked against them. And so I, I really like that ageist has profiled women who are you know, our role models for us. Uh, thank you for that. The, um, you know, I asked, I asked a lot of people about this gender thing, and uh, I had a conversation with Gloria Felt. Um, Gloria is in her mid-70s. She 
became the president of Planned Parenthood when she was like 50 or 55, um, which was like quite a thing. Um, very, very difficult job. And she has an, an initiative now um, helping women start businesses. And I said, I said, Gloria, like, I got all this data here. I'm seeing all this stuff going on here. Nobody, you know, like, I don't get it. What's, what's happening? And she said to me, it's not so much that the women are um, growing and becoming more vibrant, which I would take issue with. I think they are. Um, she said, it's the men are pulling back and it, and it gives the space for the women. And they, mm. they just, they move into that. Uh, and I, you know, I see Chip that there are more women starting businesses. They're more successful businesses. They're leading the organizations. They're leading all these things. And I'm, it's, it, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear what your thoughts on men, that it's, it's, it's like a transition period and they, and they come out of the other side of this, which. Well, yeah, let's, the, the, here's an interesting thing. So society has historically created rites of passage for people when they're going through transitional times. You go through puberty, you have bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, quinceaneras, communions. You go from uh, adolescence or childhood to adulthood. You have a graduation ceremony and a commencement. You actually get married, you have a wedding, you're gonna have a birth, you have a baby shower, you die, you have a funeral. But between baby shower and funeral, nada. And that's partly because, frankly, midlife as an era of life is a relatively new phenomenon. But midlife is full of transitions, whether it's divorce or changing your career or empty nest or menopause or your parents passing away um, or you know, some kind of uh, you know, sabbatical you're doing to, to go travel the world. There's all these things that happen in midlife, and yet all we've done is packaged it as a crisis. You know, that's the brand of midlife. It's it's a crisis, and and instead, let's actually look at midnight life as a possible time for some awakening, and absolutely a time for a pit stop, which allows you to refuel and to reimagine <clears throat> how you're going to go through this next era of your life. And the truth is, if you're going to live till age 98, which is a lot of us will and you're 58 years old, you are actually only halfway through your adult life if you start counting at age 18. So the idea that these people are going through transitions and men, let's talk about the men, men going through transitions, and instead of having society help support them through that transition, which is what we do typically in communities, instead we don't have any kinds of rites of passage, rituals or celebrations for people during this time. And, and in some ways that's what our modern elder academy is trying to offer is ritualizing midlife as a, an era of life, middle essence as an era, as a, as a, as a corollary uh, to the end of adulthood as we know it, moving into elderhood. And again, when I say moving into elderhood, I'm not saying moving into elderly because elderhood really is speaking, el an elder is someone who's relatively speaking older than the person around them. That's it. Elderly is your last five or 10 years of your life. Elder is when you are actually in an environment as I was at Airbnb at age 52 when I joined when the average age was 26. And I think what we're going to see more and more is intergenerational collaboration. And it's not about the elders having all the wisdom and passing it down. It actually goes in both directions. I learned as much from the people I was mentoring at Airbnb around digital intelligence or millennial travel habits <clears throat> or things like that. And, and they learned so I learned DQ from them, digital intelligence. They learned some EQ from me, and we were both better off for it. I 
I, I, I feel like, um, you know, what you were saying, this, this idea of intergenerational teams, it's, it, it really reminds me of, um, you know, the, the thought of like, if, if, if you look at nature and you have, uh, you have a monoculture, it seems kind of like a good idea because it's like easier, like you got a field full of corn. Okay, so it's just corn. Okay, great. So that makes it easier for you. But if you have something that comes into the corn, yep. you got a real problem. So you know, like the most robust ecosystems in nature are the most diverse ecosystems. That's right. And I, and I think with groups of people, especially work groups, and, and this can be just, you know, if we had a room full of, you know, I'm, I'm 61. If we had a room full of like 60-year-old white guys, mm-hmm. we're going to run ourselves into the ditch just as quickly as, you know, a, a bunch of younger people. Because, you yeah. know, I think you, you need that whole range. Well, there's, there's a, in agriculture, they call it regenerative agriculture. And, and there's a thing called, that we should call regenerative workplaces, which is people being able to regenerate each other through the different generations. They also call it hybrid vigor. Hybrid vigor is just a way of, and Paul Hawken, who was just at Modern Elder Academy last month, talks about it in the, in the book that he wrote back in 1987, which is the book that helped me get start my, my company. Um, called uh, growing a business. Hybrid vigor is when you have this collection of things, the diversity of things makes something even stronger. So I think this idea of regeneration and and we we have various generations in the workplace who can learn from each other makes a ton of sense. And uh, the the problem and one of the reasons I'm going out and talking to HR departments about this a lot is um, there of the companies that have DNI programs, diversity and inclusion programs in the world, um, only eight percent of them have actually expanded the definition of DNI to include age as just as important of a demographic as race, gender, or sexual orientation. And so I think that as we have a, an aging workplace um, and p- people staying in the workplace longer, this becomes uh, a really important thing for to be a, as a competitive advantage for companies. Is how do you create age diversity? I, I think it's. You know, going going back to these conversations I had with these HR folks, uh, it's the there's a certain sort of ego divide, cultural divide, in you know can typically happen in these situations, where th- they would describe something to me where they would have a candidate who would be, you know, our age who was they were really pulling for this person. They were this person was was great. They knew they would you know show up for work every day. They'd be, great skill set and everything would be wonderful until they put them actually in team and the team leader was often younger maybe you know 20 years younger Mm -hmm. and what would happen would be there this sort of ossification would happen on both sides of the line so Mm -hmm. the, the older person would be somewhat defensive and think like oh well you know i've been doing this since before you were born like i know how to do this and then the younger person is like, you know, this older person knows nothing about, you know, X, Y, Z. We're going to have to, you know, treat them, you know, as if that's the case. And it's, I, I think it's the, the key there is what you said, this idea of curiosity and openness and mm-hmm. a little bit of coaching on each side of that equation um, to let people know, like, this is okay. You know, this is actually a really great thing, and this is this is this is how to approach this. Mm-hmm. I I totally agree. I when we can help people to see that 
this is not, we're not doing this to be politically correct necessarily. We're doing this because it's actually good business and it's good for humanity. Um, the, the fact that we are able to learn from each other and think of it as an intergenerational potluck. Um, you know, potluck can be a lot of fun because everybody brings what they do best to the table. And uh, I think in a world where we have five generations in the workplace for the first time, it's a new way of thinking. Additionally, let's look at some interesting stats. You know, 40% of Americans have a boss younger than them today. If you're 55, that number is 69%. And by the year 2025, the majority of Americans will have a boss younger than them. So this phenomenon we have of power moving younger is happening. Um, and I think learning that we all have something to learn from each other is a natural response to it. That is so interesting. I had no idea the younger boss thing was so prevalent. Yep. I would love to have a younger boss. I, think, <laughs> I would love to just have a boss. <laughs> you know, here's a, I have a funny story. So my boss was Brian, Brian Chesky, who was, I, I was also his mentor uh, for the four years that I was there. So he was 21 years younger than me. I had been a CEO for 24 years uh, before joining them. So I knew a lot about doing uh, people's, per, you know, uh, performance reviews. So Brian does his first performance review for me which was a little awkward, you know, he's 21 years younger than me and I'm his mentor and he, he goes through it. And at the end of it, he said, so, so what do you think? And I, it was funny because my first reaction was, well, am I supposed to answer as the employee or as your mentor <laughs> in terms of how you did giving me the review? Um, because in some ways I could give him some pointers on how he could have done the review better. But at the same time, the point of the review was him giving me some feedback about how I could be better. So it was a beautiful opportunity for that, that kind of reciprocal um, uh, mentoring of each other. Wow. Did, did I, do you know Charlotte from Circle? I do. She's going to be, I think we're going to have her teaching at uh, the Academy next spring. So, you know, Charlotte was my boss. What? Charlotte was 24 years old. She was the art director for a job um, that I'd been hired to do this big, big advertising campaign, and I was 56. Um, yeah. And we got along great. She's still like, we're really good friends. Oh, so funny. So yeah. perfect segue. Both you and Charlotte will be teaching at the Modern Elder Academy. So Charlotte's teaching with uh, a woman from Australia, and we're going to do an intergenerational week. Um, and so the two of them and me and Jeff Kamui, who's our head of education and innovation for the academy are all going to be doing that. It's, none of this is on the website yet, including your your week, which will be in early January 2021, um, which will I will be teaching with you, co-leading with you, which will focus on. We'll, we're going to figure out what the exact focus will be, but uh, I mean, basically, what you do for Aegis and what you do with Aegis will be our focus of the week. We'll have to figure out how to define that. But I, it's what's beautiful is to have you down and have you. Um, experience this place that is quite spacious and helps people to shift their perspective on aging, their mindset on aging. I'm excited and I'm somewhat scared that I'm not going to make the bar. <laughs> like... You're fine. You'll be fine. As long as, you know what, you, 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 you will be there. The thing that you're scared about is, you know, getting vulnerable. See, we talk, you know, are you open to doing the vulnerability thing? Even sure. As a, okay, yeah. okay, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's, I mean, truly that's, that's part of it. I think people get 
don't worry about the performance piece of it in terms of like, are you going to be a good, good leader, teacher? You know, we'll figure out something that works. What you have, just even in the course of this conversation we're having the last half hour or more, is that you have a perspective on age and on what um, lights people up, that makes them curious, makes them alive, um, allows them to have a vital sense that they still have something to offer the world. So the, you, have a, you have a lens on this that is uh, quite beautiful uh, and, and instructive. And I think, that, I think you will you'll be amazing. And I, I, hopefully some of your listeners and a lot of your uh, subscribers will, will say, damn, I need to go down and spend, spending a week with David you know, on a beach in a spectacularly beautiful place, eating great food and uh, talking about big subjects. Wow, what a, what a, meet, what a week that could be. I, I think what it's going to be, it's uh, spending a week watching David be taught by Chip on how to be a leader. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what uh, we'll learn be. from each other. We'll have some mutual mentorship. <laughs> I love that. And, and uh, what's this I hear about you're doing Modern Elder in New York? Yes. So Crispin Baines, who is uh, started the Wild in New York, um, uh, or actually everywhere, but he's he's based there, um, asked me to come do sort of an MEA in a day program um, at Governor's Island, uh, which is a really fascinating piece of nature, uh, right there in Manhattan, just you know north of uh, much of Manhattan, and it's it's a beautiful place where we're gonna uh, you know, give people a little taste test of what it's like to shift your mindset on aging and mine your mastery and uh, your wisdom and imagine how you can repurpose it out in the world. And so um, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure how he's marketing it yet, um, but if you went to the WILD website, which is W-Y-L-D-E, um, that or the, probably their Facebook page, I'm sure they'll have some promotion on there. And uh, it'll be a small group. And for a number of us, we'll be actually spending the night camping in New York, if you can believe that, oh. but it's like cushy camping. It's you know basically you know collective retreats is the company that runs this, and it's like a very very high end sort of um, glamping experience. Well, I've I've seen pictures of this, and I'm I used to live in New York. Um, Governor's Island is in the harbor, and you take a boat from where the Staten Island Ferry is yeah. out to this island that used to be a private island. It was owned by the I think by the Navy, the Coast Guard, or something. Mm. I had no, I, I mean, I'd heard they'd open it up, but um, Crispin had showed me pictures of the tents on the island yes. in the middle of the harbor looking at the Statue of Liberty. And yeah. I thought that with MEA, I thought, oh, this is like once in a lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it is, it is going to be great. And it's, uh, I don't know, you know, Crispin's amazing. And I have a ton of respect for the wild. And, and actually, in Aegis, Crispin wrote a, a, a column or a, a piece um, of his experience at the Modern Elder Academy, which for those who are curious about it, um, Crispin's a great writer and he, he really chronicles what the experience is like in a lot of detail. So if, if you're a little bit worried about the details of it, read Crispin's um, Aegis piece because it actually speaks to it uh, in, a, in a pretty um, uh, descriptive way. So now one of the things that I, I know about you, Chip, is you read more mm. than pretty much anybody I've ever met. You're, you're like a, you're like, if you weren't doing what you were doing, you'd be a librarian. Um, I, well, I would. Actually, they used to call me the librarian at Airbnb because I, <laughs> I, I offered people the know-how and know-who of networking. 
but uh, yeah, I love I love reading, um, and that I, it helps me to be a better writer. Hopefully, it, I, I find exactly the same thing. I have to. I run out of words. I need to read more, or my word tank gets empty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so what are you what are you reading? What have you read lately that you really like? That's really inspired you. You know, I, I mean, one of my favorites. I just read it again. Um, I read it when it first came out. Is uh, the Hundred Year Life? The Hundred Year Life by two um, UK professors from London. Uh, it it really chronicles what the world will look like when the hundred year life is more common, and we're not that far off. In fact, the the data shows that. Uh, kids being or child, babies being born today uh, in Western society have a 50% chance or more than a 50% chance of living, of living to 100 years old. So this is an interesting phenomenon. Well, if we live to 100, what, what are all the things that have to change in society? It's a, it's a really deep and also, um, gosh, big read in terms of big thinking. Um, a, a more personal read that I uh, that I read that I love is Mark Friedman's book How to Live Forever, um, and it is not about how to live forever in the sense of like Silicon Valley how are you <laughs> how are you going to turn me into the bionic man or woman, but no in, instead it's really about how do you give back and create a legacy for people younger than you. So living forever is the legacy you leave leave behind. Mark is the CEO and founder of Encore.org and um, which is a, a really interesting organization it's, uh, that helps people repurpose themselves often in social enterprises, but they're very focused now on intergenerational collaboration. And uh, he's just a mensch, a big heart, and it's a very personal story, uh, but also one that inspires you to look at how you give back to people younger than you. You know, I tell people, um, probably like yourself, I, I, I get a lot of email about like, hey, I've got XYZ problem. What should I do? And, I, I, you know, I rarely address the problem. <laughs> what, I, what I do is I say- You send them to me. <laughs> well, I send them to you, the really tough ones I send to you. I can't handle this, man. What do you got? <laughs> but, but I tell people like, um, just go out and help somebody. Like right now, get out of the house, just go help somebody. Like yeah. in, and like, you know, uh, help small H, like yeah. say hi to somebody, to, uh, compliment somebody on their shoes, help somebody across the street, open a door. How can you be helpful? And whatever you thought your problem was, it got a lot smaller. Yeah, it's so true. Um, it, you know, it, I can't, I, I don't think there's much I can add to that other than to say um, that the social science research on this is very clear, which is when you live in a place of gratitude and a place of service, um, as long as you don't go too far in the extreme of it, such that you, in, in essence, devalue it almost, um, or burn yourself out on the service side, um, it actually adds to your life. It adds to your happiness. Uh, and, um, and certainly it creates a better world. Yeah, I would go further. I mean, I tell people that you know, what's the whole reason that we need to stay fit? Why do we need to stay healthy? Why do we need to stay curious? Why do we need to stay engaged? It's so we can be useful. Like, it, you know, it's that, it, you know, there are some people who actually earn money for the sake of just putting zeros in their bank account, which I, I, I don't understand. But it's sort of like that. It's like, why, why are we doing this? The point is so we can be useful to other people. Yeah, I... I 
I, I, I'm not going to add to that. I think, I think you're, <laughs> you're, you're right on. So, uh, and, and, and it is a natural thing. There's a, uh, Eric Erickson, uh, developmental psychologist, talked about the eight stages of life. And the seventh stage of life is, is really midlife and later. And he talked about the, the, the uh, friction or the challenge between uh, generativity or stagnation. Generativity means that you are helping generate things, especially for other people. Stagnation is when you frankly live in the stagnation of the ego and your own self-absorption. And so when you move into the space of being in service and helping, you are in that generativity place. And it, it has such a helpful psychological benefit to you. So yeah, just go out and do something today for someone else and, and know that, you know, I'm a big believer in terms of this, uh, I, I coined a term karmic capitalism long ago. And I said, that's really what the world, the business world should be. We, you know, what goes around comes around. You do, you serve other people, you do the good things for them and you, the community and the community comes back and serves you in all kinds of ways. And I, I think, you know, that is a, a great way to imagine how to, how to develop your business. Well, that's a good note, I think, to end on. My gosh, um, Chip, uh, just it's just it's such a joy. I mean, when when did we meet each other? Like three or four years ago? Yeah, about that long ago. I can't remember who introduced us. But I th actually, you know what? I think someone had told me about Aegis. I went to it. I loved it. I reached out. To, I think I reached out to you. We had a nice email, and then we we got deeply into helping each other. And you know, in terms of just. Uh, me giving you some suggestions on ages, you give me some suggestions on Modern Elder Academy, and and just knowing that we're both in this space together, and we're you know two years apart in age. So uh, yeah, I, I I think of you as my as my my brother. Oh gosh, I I'm going to tell you a secret. When I got your email, yes. When it came in, I saw you know it's like I I knew your name, and I saw this come up, and it blew my mind. I immediately called up my partner Matt, <laughs> and I said. We're somebody. <laughs> like Chip knows who we are. This is great. <laughs> well, I was impressed. I mean, I just really, I still am, and I love sending people to the to uh, the to Aegis and to and and I just think your your conference in LA, uh, which I was lucky enough to speak at last year, is just a, just a really beautiful, you know, um, love bubble of interesting people doing interesting things and and it's a great way to get to know each other thank you um you know gods be willing we're going to do it again uh june 8th in los angeles beautiful beautiful so, yeah. thank you for that well um I'm, I'm going to leave you i know you have um things to do it's um it's just wonderful having you here and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing you again yes me too thank you for giving me the opportunity to to connect with your community uh, in a variety of ways and uh, including this. And congrats on the podcast. Thank you. Doing our best. <laughs> Have a great rest of the day, Chip. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Ages podcast today. We really appreciate your support. And please, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, please subscribe. Hit like. Leave us a comment. It really helps other people discover us. And that, at this point, is important to us because we're new at this. And, we, you know, we get better at it every week. Um, thank you so much for Seize Apart for that incredible music. And we'll be back next week with another really great show. Um, we're really enjoying this, and I hope you are too. Till then, have a wonderful week. Take care now.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.